beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Catechism teaches us in the first question and answer of the Lord's Day that uh, the uh, commandments address not just our external behavior, but what is in our hearts as well. And they teach us that the Tenth Commandment especially uh, requires of us that not even the least inclination or thought against any commandment of God ever enter our heart, but that with our whole heart we continually hate all sin and take pleasure in all righteousness. That's where I want to focus our attention this morning. And I want to do that in connection with Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. Proverbs 4, <coughs> verses 20 to 27. Now, before we begin to look at those verses in Proverbs 4, let's just take a quick look at the preceding context of those verses. I think chapter 4 forms one unified whole here. And Solomon begins this chapter, um, first of all, by exhorting his children to hear his instruction. But then in verse 3, he begins to talk about what he had learned from his father. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. And these things that he had learned from his father, he continues to recite through the end of verse 9 of chapter 4. Then in verses 10 to 19, he begins to apply this instruction which he had received from his father to his own son. Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. And he even uses some of the same language that he had learned from his father. So he's, he's teaching his son, and he's teaching his son in those verses 10 to 19 especially to beware of wickedness. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. But then in, in 20, verses 20 to 27, he uh, continues his instruction to his son based on what he had learned from his father. And he, especially in these verses, encourages his son to righteousness. So he says in verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that verse, I think, is the central verse of this paragraph, verses 20 to 27. We'll see why in a little while. But that's the, the main exhortation that Solomon gives to his son here in verses 20 to 27. Notice that the passage falls into two parts. In the first part, he exhorts his son again to hear him. That's verses 20, 21, and 22. And in the second part, then, he gives to his son a series of exhortations which he wants his son to hear. And so we're going to look at the um, passage under the theme, Keep Your Heart with All Diligence. And we're going to consider first the urgency of this exhortation, in verses 20 to 22. In the second place, we're going to consider the exhortation itself in verse 23. 
And then in verses 24 to 27, the additional exhortations that Solomon attaches to that main exhortation to keep your heart with all diligence. Now the urgency of this exhortation to his son comes out in the fact first that Solomon repeats the basic exhortation four times in verses 20 and 21. Give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart. Solomon is saying to his son in the, in the first place then, um, listen to me. Don't let yourself be distracted. I want for a moment your full attention. I don't want you for now to be thinking about anything else. Just open your ear, incline your ear to what I am going to say to you because what I am going to say to you is extremely important. That's first. Listen. And in the second place, he says, in the next verse, remember. So he first wants his son to listen to him, to take in what he has to say, to understand it, and to um, uh, comprehend it fully. And then he says, in the second verse, I want you now to remember it. Keep, uh, he says in verse 21, do not let them depart from your eyes, Keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, have them, as it were, always before your eyes. If we may use a a modern kind of figure of speech, he's saying have these commandments as a kind of heads-up display as you are driving down the road of life. Let them be continually before your eyes and see all of your life and all of your path through the perspective of these commandments. Do not let them ever depart from your eyes. They have to be with you continually. And then he says also, uh, preserve them in the midst of your heart. And this too has the idea of remembering, store them up in your heart, in other words, store them up, but also because he speaks of the midst of the heart, Put them in a place of honor in your heart. Let them have the chief place, the central place, and the place where they are safest and least likely to be forgotten. You need to get hold of these commandments which I'm giving you, and you need to preserve these commandments in your heart. So that's the first way in which this all comes out. But notice in the second place that the urgency of this comes out as Solomon uh, talks about different parts of the body being engaged in this task. He speaks in these first three verses, first of ear, and then of eyes, and then of heart, and then in verse 22 as well as of flesh. So he's, he's saying really to his son, you need your ear, you need your eyes, you need your heart in order to engage yourself in the task which is being set before you. I really want you to engage your whole being in this task of taking hold of the words which I am speaking to you. The like, exhortation that he gives is, similar in some ways to the exhortation we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, where um, 
God says through Moses to his people, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Notice that, they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. That's what Solomon is doing here in Proverbs chapter 4. He's teaching them diligently to his children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That is, they're to be continually before you, and they're to be continually a subject of conversation to to you. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that doorposts of the house is like setting them, isn't it, before your eyes, so that they are never absent from your eyes, from your remembrance. So that's the second thing then, which indicates to us the urgency of the task. First, the four times that he states the exhortation and then the engagement of the whole body, really, in the, the whole being, rather, in the uh, uh, taking hold of his father's words. But the second thing we want to ask then in this first point is, why does Solomon say that? Why is this such an urgent exhortation? And he gets to that in verse 22, but before we get to verse 22, there's one other point we should make in this connection, and that is that the urgency of this exhortation is partly due simply to the fact that these are the words of a wise father to his son. His son is young and simple. His his son has not yet learned wisdom, as Solomon is teaching it to him. There's still much that he needs to understand and grasp of what his father is saying. And so it's very important for his son to hear what his wiser father has to say to him. This is a normal thing for any godly parent, isn't it? That he wants his children to hear the words which he has to speak to them. But for Solomon, there's an extra urgency in this also, because Solomon is a prophet of God. And Solomon is here speaking God's own word. And he's saying to his son here in this chapter, I heard the word of God from my father, and now I, as a prophet of the Lord, am speaking that same inspired and infallible word of God to you. I am God's prophet speaking God's word, God's infallible and inspired word to you. You need to hear the word of God. When you listen to me, you are hearing the God, God's word. This goes beyond what any godly parent can say. He can say, I teach you God's word, but it is his understanding of God's word. It is not the inspired word of God that he speaks. So Solomon is saying here, this is the word of God. And of course, that's his claim also in the first part of the book of Proverbs when he uh, tells us the reason for giving the uh, whole book. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding and so on. It's not his own instruction and wisdom and understanding that he's teaching. It's the wisdom of God and of his father as the prophet of God. 
But there's even more to it than that yet, because Solomon is the messianic king, the type of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God embodied. And Solomon is therefore speaking to his son the words of Christ and the wisdom of Christ himself. And he's exhorting his son in these verses to receive Christ as the embodied wisdom of God. That's why it's so important for his son to hear. Give attention to my words, because I speak to you the words of the wisdom of God in person, the wisdom of God in your own Messiah. And it's that for that reason, then, that he can... Uh, say then in verse 22, they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. These words of wisdom are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Now, Solomon does not mean, he's giving exhortations here and he continues throughout Proverbs to give or imply many exhortations to his son. But Solomon does not mean then that the life which he wants his son to have will be attained through the law. That's not at all part of Solomon's thinking here. Solomon's well aware of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 2, that the law is weak through the flesh, and that what the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh, God has done in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying to his Son, you need to receive my exhortations, you need to receive my commands, you need to receive this instruction because this instruction is the wisdom of God which is revealed in your own Messiah. And in receiving this instruction, you receive your Messiah. So it's not through your obedience, Solomon's Um, very clear on the fact that he understands the weaknesses and temptations which his son faces, but it's the fact that he's teaching the wisdom of God in Christ. And he wants his son to receive Christ by faith and to receive all that Christ has to give. And furthermore then, Solomon understands that it's only in the way of the commandments that we can walk in life. Walking outside of the commandments of God is to walk in death. And what our Lord Jesus Christ does for us is to turn our feet back to the way of God's commandments, that place of life, and to make us walk there again in that place of life. When he gives us holiness, he's giving to us life. And he's also, as Solomon indicates here, giving to us health. It will be health to all your flesh. He he almost looks at his words then as medication. 
which a sick person needs to take. And he says this medication will restore health to you. So that's, that's the urgency, of the, or the reason for the urgency of his commandments. They are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. They find them in Christ. But now let's look at the meaning of this exhortation, the main exhortation here in verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. The first thing we have to look at here, of course, is the idea of the, of the heart. We have uh, our own notions of what heart means. And I think we kind of use the word heart in two different ways. On the one hand, it's for us the seat of feeling. We talk about feeling in our hearts. We talk about uh, loving someone with all our hearts. And we oppose heart to head. The heart is our feelings, our emotions, our instincts, the, the gut we talk about sometimes, that kind of thing, where our inclinations lie. And our head may tell us differently, and the question for us is whether we're going to follow head or heart. Well, that kind of opposition doesn't exist in the scriptures between head and heart because the scriptures include head in the concept of heart. All of the inner thoughts of man. So, for example, in Genesis 6, verse 5, when God is talking about the wickedness of the world, he says there uh, that he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The thoughts of his heart. And in uh, Genesis 8, verse 21, the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, he, he speaks in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So really the concept of heart includes all of the inner life of, of man. Everything that's not visible to our neighbors, our neighbors can see sometimes to some measure what is in our hearts by our words, by our expressions, by our, um, our behavior. They can read our hearts to a certain extent, but they have no direct access to our hearts. It's all that invisible inner life. That's what the scriptures are talking about. And included in this is not only our thinking, but our inclinations, our desires, our feelings, or passions, or emotions, even the choices of our wills, all these different aspects of the inner life of man are included in that concept of heart. And what Solomon is saying then is keep that heart. And he doesn't mean preserve it as it now exists. It's not keep it in that sense. Because God requires that we have a change of heart. He's removing from us the heart of 
stone and giving to us a heart of flesh. And he's constantly telling us, you not only need to change your external behavior, but you need to change what is in your heart. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your feelings. You need to change your emotions. You need to change your choices. You need to change your inclinations. Our inclinations are naturally against the law of God. You need to change those inclinations so that they become towards the law of God, and so on. Everything that's in us needs to be changed. And so Solomon isn't saying keep it in the sense of keep it static, keep it um, uh, as it now exists, but he's saying guard it. Guard it against all the influences of evil. Guard it against being subverted to wickedness. And guard it to keep all wickedness out and to drive all wickedness that is there out. That's what he means by keeping it. Preserve it, therefore, or guard it so that it will be holy in everything. And then he says, guard it with all diligence. Now, our translation here, I I think, is not quite uh, the uh, original intention of the Hebrew. The NIV, again, I think, gets close, though it's not uh, uh, as precise a translation as perhaps we would like. It nevertheless gets much closer to the meaning. It says, above all else, guard your heart. You see the difference? Above all else, not with all diligence, but above all else. Make this first. Give to this priority. This, Solomon says, is the most important exhortation I'm giving you here. Guard your heart with all diligence. Or guard your heart above all else. We could make it a little more precise even by using the word charge or exhortation because that's really the word Solomon uses. Above every exhortation or above every charge, guard your heart. And so what he's saying to his son in effect is, I'm giving you all kinds of exhortations here. Go back through chapter 4 and look at all the different exhortations he gives to his son. But then he says, above all these other charges that I'm speaking, above all these other exhortations, I tell you, guard your heart. And again, we have to ask, why? Well, the first answer to that question is again implied rather than specifically stated. The first answer to that question as implied here is that the heart is inclined to evil. Heart is inclined to evil. If the heart were perfect, if there were no evil and erroneous thoughts in the heart, if there were no evil inclinations in the heart, if there were no evil desires in the heart, if there was none of this in the heart, 
There would be no need for this exhortation. If the heart were not drawn towards that kind of thing, Solomon would not need to say, guard it. The heart is wicked and deceitful. And we need to guard it against the wickedness to which it is inclined. In fact, of course, when we get to heaven, our hearts will be perfect and we will not be able to think evil thoughts. We will not be able to have evil desires. We will be unable to sin with our hearts and therefore we will not need to guard the heart anymore because the heart will be pure and holy But now, here, wickedness remains, and we need to guard our hearts. The second reason that Solomon gives here in the text is, out of it spring the issues of life. And I don't know if, if anyone would take it this way, but just in case, we have to understand that the word issues is not the word same word that we would, or it does not have the same meaning as it does in modern uh, usage. We would talk about having issues, that is problems or questions. I have an issue with you, that is I have a problem with you or I have some trouble with you or I need to bring this issue to someone for his advice. I have a question about this. That sort of, that's not what Solomon's talking about at all here. When he says, out of it are the issues of life. What he means here is that life issues from the heart. It begins in the heart. And all the activity of life begins in the heart. The issues of life then are the water that flows from the fountain of the heart. That's what Solomon has in mind. The issuings forth of life are from the heart. He has in mind here something very like what our Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20, when he says, uh, actually we should go back to verse 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. That's what Solomon's talking about here. Only his word is a little broader. Jesus says if you do any evil, if you commit adultery, if you commit murder, if you uh, commit blasphemy, if you do any kind of evil, it comes from your heart. It starts in your heart. But Solomon is saying, yes, that's true, but it's also true that any good that you do comes from your heart. Out of the heart are all the issues of life. Every act of your life, all that people see of you, begins in your heart. Now you can deceive them about what's in your heart. That's possible. But nevertheless, what you do begins with 
the heart. And so if you are deceiving people about what's in your heart, that began in your heart. That deception began in your heart. Out of the heart are the issues of life. And so the point is here, this is where we get to where the rubber meets the road, people of God. The point is, if you address only your external behavior and not what is in your heart, you're falling way short of what God requires of you. You are then like the scribes and Pharisees of whom Jesus said you are whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones and of all corruption. You wash the outside of the cup and of the platter and you leave the inside full of filth and dirt and all manner of uh, corruption. You are, in fact, hypocrites. You do not address the heart. And so you, you see how important Solomon makes this. If you don't address what's in your heart, you're just a whitewashed sepulcher. If all you are concerned about is the external behavior, then your heart remains as filthy as it was before. Nothing has changed fundamentally. And this is the meaning of the Tenth Commandment, of course, when it says, you shall not covet. Coveting is an, a heart act. It's one of those fountains out of which come the issues of life. And that coveting, as the Catechism points out, means you shall not desire in your heart anything that is contrary to the commandments of God. Preserve, guard your heart. That's the first and most important exhortation here. And then we can look at the rest of the exhortations in verses 24 to 27. Solomon here addresses three additional areas of our life. Our speech, what we say, where we look, where our eyes are looking, and where our feet go. What are you saying? Where, what are you seeing? And where are you going? And what he's saying, really, basically, then is this covers the rest of life. First, I'll talk about your heart. He says, keep your heart. Above all else, keep your heart. But then address. Do you've talked about your heart and addressed your heart? Then address the rest of your life. And bring it into conformity with what you know in your heart to be true. Now again, Solomon refers to various body parts here. The emphasis on body parts throughout this um, passage, 20 to 27, is very striking. The ear, verse 20, the eyes, verse 21, the heart, verse 21, the flesh, verse 22, the heart again, in verse 23, the uh, mouth and lips in verse 24, the eyes and eyelids in verse 25, the feet in verses 26 and 27. 
And what he's saying here is all of life. The whole of life has to be governed by this wisdom which I am teaching you. Your mouth must be governed by this wisdom. You must, he says, put away from you a deceitful mouth. You must put perverse lips far from you. There are two things I want to say about that uh, verse, people of God. The first is, I want to talk about that word perverse. I think we may say that that word perverse is the opposite in the scriptures and in the book of Proverbs of the word upright. The basic meaning of the word upright in Hebrew is straight. And the basic meaning of this word perverse here is crooked or twisted. And what Solomon is saying then is that the commandments of God are straight. They're upright. And we have to measure ourselves against those commandments. And when we're in conformity to those commandments, we're upright as well. We're straight. But when we're not, we're bent. We're twisted. We're crooked. We're perverse. We don't follow the straight way of God's commandments but we follow the crooked ways of our impulses, our own impulses and desires and thoughts and so on. We wander all over the place. It's a crooked way. And he takes that word then and he applies it to our mouth and he says, don't let that kind of perversity be in your mouth. Don't let your speech be crooked. Don't let your speech depart from the way of God's commandments. In fact, and this is the second thing we want to say about that, put it far from you. And he doesn't mean uh, take yourself out of the company of those who speak perversity. That may sometimes be necessary, but he means put away from yourself perversity of your own mouth and of your own lips. Let that be far from you. Leave it behind and put as great a distance between you and it as you possibly can. Let it be removed from you as far as east from west is distant. So that's the first exhortation. The second has to do with the eyes. And as you read that verse, you should get a picture of a man who's, who's walking on a journey. And he's, he's not a, a casual tourist who's on this journey for sightseeing purposes and therefore he stops to look around him and to enjoy the scenery and to enjoy the sight of the wildlife and so on so that his, his course may be a kind of meandering course and he may depart from the main path at times in order to see some other sight along the way. Not talking about that kind of journey, he's talking about a man who's got business to do and who's intent on getting that business done. And he's making this journey in order to make sure that the business gets done correctly. And so his whole mind and heart are set on doing the business. And as he travels, he's not distracted. His, his eyes don't turn aside to observe sights along the way. He's not interested in that. 
That's just a distraction to him and will slow him down on his journey. His eyes are fixed on accomplishing his purpose and on seeing the way that he has to go to achieve that purpose. And so he fixes his eyes on the path. It may be a a rough and difficult path, a narrow way. But he has his eyes fixed on the way so that he doesn't stumble. And he has his eyes fixed on the end of the way, the purpose he's trying to achieve, so that he's constantly consumed by it. Well, this is the righteous man. As his heart is conformed to the law of God, as his heart is guarded against wickedness, his eyes become fixed on the way, the way to life, the straight and narrow path that Christ calls him to walk. And he doesn't allow his eyes to look aside, but to always be fixed before him. Notice what David says in Psalm 16 at the end of that psalm. He says there, I have set the Lord always before me. That's the idea that Solomon has in mind here. I have set the Lord always before me before me. And so he will not look and be like Eve in Genesis chapter 3 who looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and saw that it was good and pleasant and desirable to make one wise. He will not look like that. He will not be like Lot's wife who looked back at Sodom Undoubtedly with longing for that comfortable life which she had to leave behind her there. He will not look like David from the roof of his palace as he watched Bathsheba. That's not where his eyes are fixed. He fixes his eyes on the goal of everlasting righteousness, the crown of glory. That does not fade away. He's like Job in Job 31 verse 1. Job says there in that chapter. Job 31 verse 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? This man that Solomon's talking about here. Has made a covenant with his eyes. That he will not look upon evil with longing. He will not set his eyes there, but he will set his eyes on the things that are future, the promises of God. And finally, Solomon talks about the feet. He says in verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. Really weigh the path of your feet. Set the path of your feet in the scales against the path to which God calls you. And where you have departed, understand and change. Let all your ways be established. It's in pondering that way or weighing that way that you find the right path, the path that's sure, that's firm footing, for you as you walk through this world. It may be a very straight and narrow way, a very difficult way to walk 
But right alongside that narrow way are all the bogs of sin, the quagmires of sin. And every time you step off that way, you step into one of those quagmires, into that sinking sand. Walk that way. Keep your feet on that way so that your ways may be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. So those are the exhortations and that Solomon adds to the main exhortation, keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your tongue, guard your eyes, guard your feet. Watch what you say, watch what you see, watch what you, where you walk. But, and this is not, not explicitly stated in most of the book of Proverbs, but it's always there in the background. It's always part of the teaching of Solomon. That wisdom which he teaches is the wisdom of God himself. The fear of God, the keeping of his commandments, but the fear of God and the keeping of his commandments as embodied in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom to which Solomon urges us. The way of repentance, the way of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. We talk about justification by faith, rightly so. We should also talk about sanctification by faith. And that's the only way, people of God, that we can learn to walk in the way that God commands us to walk. As we seek our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom and sanctification by faith. May God bless the proclamation of his word.